honest, Dave. I'm not going to lie to you. No. We just had that discussion. We did, yeah. We don't like liars. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode. I'm here with Dave Peters at Tommy's Pizza. We'll do a nice native ad for Tommy's Pizza because nice. they're good to uh, us at Corey. They are. So, uh, Tommy's Pizza on 161 Dublin Granville Road. Um, but I'm here with Dave Peters. Dave, it was your first subgroup that I snuck into when we were doing, uh, before I was a member, I came to two of your subgroups <laughs> for landlording. And I, and I've, and I still to this day don't have a big interest in being a landlord, but I, I, I think a lot of people do when it comes to real estate. I think it's like, that's commonly what people do first. And you are, uh, at this point, we, I do want to get in your history and how you got started, but if you don't mind, how many how many houses do you have now? I got a little over forty right, rentals. That's a lot. Yep. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun, and also too something else that's interesting is that you a lot of your rentals are are Section Eight. And uh, I had an uncle. I was at my brother's wedding. He goes, "Oh, stay away from those people." Blah blah blah. It was the same nonsense that people don't really realize that it's like. And they can't really trash your house, and if they do, they lose their voucher and everything else like that. I mean, there's certainly a lot of, mis- a lot of misconceptions about Section 8, yeah. um, a lot of myths and legends. Some of it's true, though, so <laughs> yeah. you got you to kind of sort through all of that. So we could get into that, but uh, so before you got into real estate, so what year, let's kind of do a history of just what, what you did originally. So you were originally in the, in the Navy. Yeah, I served in the Navy for 24 years uh, as a Supply Corps officer. And I um, retired in 2009 right here in Columbus. I worked at the Defense Supply Center, DSCC, down in Whitehall. And that was my last duty station. Then from there, I transitioned to uh, working for the federal government for seven years. And back in the end of 2016, I transitioned out of that. And now I do the real estate investing full time. Um, during the time that I was moved to Columbus in 2005 is when I started buying rental houses. So okay. I've been picking them up you know, while I was still on active duty and, and when I was a civilian and um, now that's, you know, gave me the base, the foundation to let me uh, quit my job. So what did, um, what made you want to start getting into real estate and getting rentals? You know, it's funny. It just kind of happened. There was no grand plan. Um, a good friend of mine named Jeff was also in the Navy working at DSCC. And he, uh, one day my car broke down and I needed a ride to work. And he, we live close to each other, coincidentally. And I said, hey, Jeff, can I have a ride to work? He said, sure, uh, but I got to stop at one of my houses in the morning. Yeah. I said, well, what do you mean? And it turns out he had some rental houses. He had to stop by one on the way into work that morning to drop something off. And that's what started me. He, we started having these conversations. And, you know, Jeff taught me everything he knows about the business and, and kind of got me started and, and continues to help me out to this day. Um, so, you know, I owe everything to Jeff. But originally the, the plan was just to pick up a couple of rental houses and make a few extra bucks you know, to help pad my income. Yeah. Um, and it, it transformed into something much bigger. So there, was there ever like, did you ever read like Rich Dad, Poor Dad in the past and someday I'm going to do that and you just started doing it? Or like, I, I'm curious because I read that book when I was, I think, 20, uh, 22. And then like I started doing network marketing and then burned out hard and then didn't do anything entrepreneurial for a while. And now it's like, now that I have my business now and now it's like, you know, it's a reason why everybody puts their money in real estate and, and just trying to learn that. So I was just curious, like when, like, were you reading a bunch of books on personal growth and self-development back then? Or was that like after the fact? 
primarily it was after the fact. I yeah. did read Rich Dad Poor Dad early on, and when I started looking at this stuff, and it's a great book. I mean, it really started me thinking, you know, about the employee mentality versus the owner mentality, yeah. and, you know, investments and and all that. And I, I it made a lot of sense to me. Um, so I really that really probably was the first book that I read, and I followed that with, uh, you know, Napoleon Hill and, and some and other, Grow Rich. yeah, Thinking yeah. Grow Rich, some other great books. Uh, but initially, no, it was no grand plan. Since then, I've read a ton of great books, but um, at the time, I just wanted a couple of properties to make a few extra bucks. So when, so you have the extra, you have a couple properties, and then when do you, like, what started, like, saying, you know, I think I'm going to do this more. Like, was it just being, working, working in a giant bureaucracy? Was that, like, did it put pressure on you to just be like, man, I got to get out of this. Like, this isn't fulfilling. It, while I was in the Navy, it never really occurred to me. I absolutely love the Navy. Um, I mean, I did start to think about the transition and, and what I was going to do afterwards, and I yeah. always figured I'd get a civilian job. Um, it, it wasn't until I got that civilian job that I really started thinking hard about making the real estate a full-time gig and how you know I would set that up so that I could do that. So you know, that's when the grand plan really started. I mean, before yeah. that, I picked up a lot of rentals, but it was still more of a hobby than it was you know, a, a, uh, a real job to me. So, you know, I, I, now I treat it like a business back then I was treating it like a hobby. Yeah. And so like we, we, we talked about this yesterday cause we were, we we're going to try to record yesterday at lunch, but it just, just, you know, Martin Luther King day didn't really work out that way, but, uh, things were closed that I thought, but, uh, we, we talked about this. So, you know, you were, we're both in masterminds and, uh, which is a concept from think and grow rich Napoleon Hill. Um, how many properties did you have before you joined your mastermind? Because you said yesterday, um, the mastermind kind of, when you joined that mastermind, it was kind of what really helped you realize you were treating it as a hobby and not a business. Yeah, that, that's a good question. I mean, I actually had at that time about 30 properties. So I had a lot of properties. I just yeah. wasn't, I was treating them like a, like a hobby, the whole thing. Um, but when I joined the mastermind, that was incredibly powerful. That kind of changed everything. That's when I realized, uh, that I could do this full time. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't quite ready at, the, at that time. I joined a mastermind in 2011. Uh, when I met a gentleman named Sean McCloskey, he's a uh, life and air. And he gave a presentation at the OREA conference about, um, you know, being debt free is what I heard, but he was also talking about this vision thing which I wasn't paying nearly as much attention to when he was pitching it. Um, all I heard was debt-free, and I knew I wanted to be debt-free because I'd run up a huge amount of debt in the form of uh, you know mortgages on the rental houses. Yeah. So I knew I wanted to get rid of those somehow. I heard this, and, and Sean and I talked a lot that weekend, and I ended up joining the mastermind, and, and Sean is still my coach today in the, in the leadership boardroom. Um, and it, it makes all the difference. It's amazing how much a coach and – and all of the the people in the mastermind can really uh, help each other out, and every it lifts everybody up. It's really powerful stuff. Interesting, because we don't. So mine mine's a little bit different. So I and we we talked about that too. And ours is more just a group. And I think uh, some guys, because we've gotten so much out of the mastermind, they're they're kind of transitioning. I know one guy just left, and he's got his own little his thing where he's like kind of a coach, and he's got a mastermind that he has. And then I know that another guy's in another one. Um, but you know, to, to, to kind of circle back when you said a hobby versus a business, like what big things were you doing, um, that, that to now you can see it's a hobby versus treating it like a business. For example, 
you know, you really, in a business, you should have standard operating procedures that, you know, tell you exactly what you're supposed to do in all the different situations and actually follow those procedures. Yeah. Um, initially, I didn't really even have that. You know, I, yeah. I had it in my head, but I never had it written down. So I decided, okay, it's, it's time to get serious about this. Get these procedures on paper and then follow your own procedures. It's amazing how much better things work when you do that. Yeah. Um, initially, I, you know, part of it, in my mind, I said I didn't have enough time to really run it, you know, the way I should. Um, that was just an excuse. Uh, once I really got serious about it and the Life and Air guys, and my coach Sean helped me see that I really needed to change that. It, it made a huge difference in, in the bottom line, among other things, and it also made my life a whole lot easier. Yeah, so what what was your goal to, to quit the rat race? Like what... Um like I heard back in the day, Jim Rohn was once you double your income from your job, like quit. But I, I didn't. I mean, I I didn't necessarily take that strategy. Like, what what was it? Like, what did you do time management wise to change, like changes time management wise? And also, like, what? How did you know? Okay, this is now. It's time to walk away. Good question. So, with the help of my uh, my mastermind group and a good friend of mine named Andy. Andy and Jen had this uh, strategy where they put a, they put a whiteboard in their house mm-hmm. and they had five things on it and when those five things were accomplished then Andy could quit his job and it was a great model and so I said okay what would I absolutely need to do to quit my job and I wrote those things on a whiteboard and as I you know checked them off one by one when I got to the end I said once all these are done I know that I can leave my job and and that's exactly how it happened. Um, and a lot of that was was paying off debt, <clears throat> driving my my monthly needs down. You know, when you have I don't know what did I have twenty five mortgages, um, your monthly need is huge. You got to come up with a lot of you know cash flow in every month just to pay for the mortgages going out. So that was really frustrating. And so I started knocking those out, and you know, just paying off all personal debt was big. Um, I had to. Uh, make sure that I had X amount of money in a, in a bank account and, you know, just set some goals that once I get to that, I can leave the job. And then um, it gives you crystal clear vision of what it is you need to do instead of just kind of flailing around and trying to figure out maybe when you might one day be able to quit. You know, when you have these written down and you see them every day, it really uh, makes you take action. Do you remember what your five things were? And like in general, or was it just like kind of loose ideas, like just for other people that might have like side hustles that, hey, I want to do this. What like were they like different categories of things? Yeah, like debt was one, I, and then I'm trying to remember what they were uh, right now. Um, one of them was that I had to have uh, X number of free clear and re- X number of free and clear rentals. Okay. Um, another one was that I had to reduce my monthly needs by a certain dollar amount. So, in other words, by paying off some of those rentals and getting rid of some other unneeded uh, expenses, you know, by driving those down, you know, that helped. I had to have a certain amount of money in the bank. I had to have life insurance policy paid, you know, in advance. And there was one other thing, and it's it's not coming to me. But once uh, once we did all those, you yeah, know, I had no excuse to not quit. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, um, and so, and you're married, and and so it. Does your wife actively do the business with you as well? She does not, uh, generally. I mean, she'll help from time to time with things, but it's it's mostly my gig. Yeah. Um, you know, she'll she'll help when, I, when especially when I'm out of town. She jumps in and takes care of things, but, you know, she has other things going on. 
besides that. <laughs> That's it's always interesting to hear because there's different. You know, I had Bill Cook on the show, and him and his wife actively work work the business together. But I think other people, yeah, they're don't. great. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting because it, I think people have in their heads, well, it has to be that way because I saw this person, that's how it worked for them, but they're not you. And I think it's figuring out what works for you is ultimately what, what you, I, I think it helps with having a vision. I mean, you and I have talked a lot about that. I think even though like I've made zero money in real estate, but it's like, you know, coming to Corey and talking to you as like an entrepreneur and like you know, early in my business, there's there's concepts from like that I that I've learned that I've been able to apply to my business while at the same time, still getting a lot of information and, and learning a lot about real estate, especially, um, you know, just coming to your meetings. What I like about it is, you know, I learned a lot just as a homeowner. Like you know what I mean? Like this is what you should know as a homeowner because I think a lot of people think you know they're they're kind of sold the bill of goods like. Well, this is the most important investment, and if you don't, if you're not like running a business out of your house, you're just kind of living there. It's really a gigantic expense and a liability. <laughs> sure is. Yeah, and I think it's so. I think you know, and they and then people don't even know, you know, how to protect themselves or how to protect that asset or or different things like that. That asset in quotations, I guess. So I mean, I I think that's it's it's you know as a as you know, a landlord and, and homeowner sh- and owning, you know, 40, your business owning 42 homes. Um, how did you, uh, so you got started in, well, you said you got started in um, doing Section 8, correct? Or that, because Jeff was already doing it and he kind of helped you show you the ropes. So. That's right. I just followed Jeff's model and he yeah. was doing Section 8. And Jeff and I were both in the Navy for a long time accustomed to red tape and bureaucracy we're really good at dealing with it and there's certainly a lot of that in any yeah. government program and so we didn't have a problem adjusting to that i mean for it's not for everybody it's definitely not for the the faint of heart um and you have to be willing to to deal with a lot of red tape um, but if you can do that it can be very very uh good you know profitable thing to do so what do you think are the biggest myths of section eight or being a, a section eight landlord uh, probably the first one is that all tenants are horrible and that they will all destroy your house and that's yeah. just simply not true um you know but on the flip side as a, the uh landlord you have the responsibility to screen those tenants before you ever put them in your house that's your job and if you don't do that which is what a lot of section eight landlords fail to do um, shame on you, because you're going to get the ones that are going to tear up your house, that are going to, you know, do do rotten things. And but that's no different than any other tenant. Yeah, I mean that that happens whether they're Section Eight tenants or not Section Eight tenants. It's you know, it's partly up to the landlord to help make sure that everything stays in control there. So it, it you know, and that, vast, and that goes back to like treating it as a business versus a hobby. Right. Exactly. You know, the vast majority of my tenants are awesome. Do we have problems every now and then? Absolutely. Would we have problems if we weren't doing Section 8? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's just the way you want to go with the program. I like the fact that the government pays my most of my rent on the first of the month every month. You know, there's some portion you have to collect from the tenants, but mostly the government pays the rent, and that's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Now, what's the, what is the biggest, um, when you talk about the bureaucracy, like what dealing with the government – 
to be qualified to have a section eight to accept section eight vouchers and stuff like that what kind of what kind of um bs do you have to deal with in in that regard i guess there's a couple of things i mean there's there's certainly paperwork involved um, more, much more so than if you were just renting to non-Section 8 tenants. You know, you have to submit your leases. You have to do a bunch of uh, jumping through hoops uh, to get everything approved. And you have to have the house inspected by the Columbus, in the case of Franklin County, the Columbus Metropolitan Housing Authority, um, which is, you know, not really that big of a deal. you got to have a safe, habitable house that conforms to HUD standards. And if you do that, then that's really the only requirements to be a landlord in the program, that you provide safe, you know, affordable um, housing that meets HUD standards. And you should be doing that anyway. So I don't really see what the big deal is with that, except that sometimes, you know, an inspector will come in and point out something that you, you may not think is really necessary, but nonetheless, you, you either have to fix it or you have to opt out of the program. You know, that's kind of your choices at, at some point, but... Um, so that can be a little frustrating that you don't always agree with the inspectors. And then you have annual inspections or actually every other year inspections now. Um, so, you know, you're going to have repairs every other year. But you should be doing those things anyway. Yeah. So, again, it's I don't really see what the big deal is here. But some people just don't like others, especially the government, telling them what they've got to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I was trying to think what else. I mean, so have you dealt... Uh, man, I was going there and then the phone came and the waitress came and I got all distracted. Uh, so with section eight, I mean, do you, is it hard to get started? Like if somebody was a landlord, is it hard to get started? Is it, or is it not really, it's just filling out paperwork? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's not really hard. It's you, you. You really need to know somebody that's that, and talk to somebody that's been through it before you, just to point out some of the the things. I mean, the, the housing authority offers a a monthly uh, class on how to be a Section Eight landlord, and that's extremely helpful. Everyone that's interested in this as a landlord should attend that class. But even then, you know, how what is the actual paperwork? What do you, what do you actually put in some of these blocks in the paperwork and and what do you have to have with you when you meet the tenant? And, and what does the housing authority require, you know, to be turned in? Some of that can be a little confusing the first couple of times you do it. So it's really helpful to have somebody that's been through this before to kind of walk you through it. Okay. And a good way for people to do that would be how? Um, by attending Corey meetings, for starters. Well, in Columbus, and, but let's say they're not in Columbus. So oh, joining a, a local REIA jo- chapter. Right. Joining a local Real Estate Investors Association would be extremely helpful and just start talking around, you know, who's who's involved. Certainly getting a hold of the housing authority and just saying, hey, who are some landlords? You know, in, in any, almost everywhere now, they use a website called gosection8.com. And you can just look, you know, look that stuff up and you can actually contact other landlords through that. And, you know, that might be a way to, to meet people. But definitely the RIA is your, is your quickest, easiest way, I think. And so um, I think we got, like, we could probably go for 10 more minutes probably before people start pouring in. Um, I'll probably get you on again, Dave, if I can. Uh, what, do you, what, what methods do you use for screening residents or tenants? Well, I mean, we initially run a, well, first of all, we talk to them. Yeah. You know, and, and see that it's going to be compatible. You know, and that's just, you know, what, how many bedrooms do they need and, and um, you know, make sure that, 
I mean, I ask them straight up. I say, we're going to run a credit criminal eviction background check. What are we going to find? And, you know, that's a really good pre-screening question. And then we actually do that. We have them fill out, you know, the, um, the application, and then we run it through national credit check, and we see what's there. You know, we expect that a lot of the folks are going to have some dinged-up credit, and that's okay, you know, but we're, we're definitely looking for criminal and eviction stuff, and, you know, we, we go from there. But that's a, that's a thing. You know, you want to do that. You also want to always contact the previous landlord. Yeah. Actually, better yet, the previous two landlords that, that they've had um, because that will often be very enlightening as to, you know, are they going to, when they left, did they keep your house clean? You know, did they owe you any money? Did they pay all their utilities? Those kind of questions are very enlightening and, and can give you a lot of good inside information. Okay, great. Um, well, I think we should probably wrap it up. There's a lot of, pe- I think people are going to start pouring in here. Uh, what do you think? Well, that's great. Yeah, I'd like to come back on and talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to get more into it. I didn't mean to cut it short, but people are starting to come in earlier than I thought. We, yeah. we try to get in there earlier. So, I mean, but somebody could... somebody was ten minutes late too. So yeah, his name somebody is Drew. was. I don't know. Freaking jerk. But yeah, we should definitely talk again because yeah. I'd like to talk a little bit about vision. You know, yeah, I was going to say. Really yeah, important. I wanted to. I wanted to say like the most important thing you think though is probably vision. You got to have a vision for your life. Yeah, and and that helps you set up a vision for your business. Okay. You shouldn't do it the other way around. Don't build a business and then try to figure out how to squeeze your life in. Yeah. You got to have a vision for your life and then build your business to support that. Yeah, and I think the next I think the next time, that'll be the next show will be all about vision, Dave before and after vision. And even I could even say me before and after what lacks what what kind of vision I have and, and also too I think knowing what's next. I think are some some big things too because I think Sometimes if you have a vision, then you get to where you are, but you don't keep looking forward, you're going to have the same problem you had before. So um, all things to dive deeper into, Dave. Indeed. I, I mean, think of it this way, Drew. If, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there, right? Yeah. So if you know where you're going, you can develop a specific you know, roadmap to get you there. And that's why it's important to have a vision. Absolutely. And Dave, so if people want to reach out to you, and ask you questions. What's is is that is that a possibility? Is there a good way for people to reach out to you if they had questions or anything like that? Yeah, uh, probably the easiest way is uh, send me a uh, an email. It's david peters at realtor dot com. And that's the one I lost, and I don't know how I didn't realize uh, it, was it so works simple. for everybody but you. <laughs> yeah. No, I just forgot it. Like I forgot. It. I was like, "What's this realtor?" Email? Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. now I feel pretty dumb. So, anyways, well, Dave, thanks for coming on, uh, and thanks for letting me squeeze it in before this meeting that we're, we're about to do. But, uh, anyways, looking forward to doing this again. I'll, yeah, me too. This has been fun. We'll, yeah. do, we'll do this again in a couple weeks. Here. Sounds good, Drew. It sounds good. Thanks, thanks a lot. lot.